Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Uh, today is April 15th, Friday, 2016. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, and Elliot. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Unfortunately, Gabby couldn't be with us today, so we will miss her today and wish her well. And we will talk to her when she's able to uh, to make it back, schedules being what they are. Um, but today we are going to continue talking about tobacco. Uh, our show last week had uh, pretty good reception, and we actually had quite a few people uh, downloading it, so that was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. We're glad that so many people got to experience that discussion. Um, and we'd just like to thank uh, Gordon again for being part of that last week. Uh, he couldn't be with us um, this week uh, just because of the, the time zone issue. Um but we are going to do our best to follow up and just kind of cover some of the remaining material that we didn't get to go over last week. Um, you know, we'll get into a little bit more about the history of uh, tobacco, some of its medicinal usages, and uh, sort of uh, anthropological and um, religious usages, usages as well uh, throughout history. Um, so I guess to, uh, to start off our discussion... Um, Elliot, there were a few things uh, that you had wanted to cover last week that we didn't have time to go over, and I wonder if you would mind um, just kind of delving into that a little bit, talking about uh, Parkinson's, and there were a couple other conditions that can be treated with tobacco. Yeah, of course. Um, last week, um, we couldn't really fit all of the information into one show because, of course, the the topic is really quite dense. Um but there there are still some some sort of um some really interesting statistics that weren't covered last week and i think that listeners would be very interested to hear them um it mainly covers some psychi- psychiatric illnesses and some general sort of um illnesses that don't necessarily seem related um First of all, tobacco has actually been shown to um, significantly decrease someone's risk at developing osteoarthritis. Hmm. Now, that <laughs> might seem a little bit weird, but basically in, in osteoarthritis, you've got these four different sites which are commonly seen in patients. So uh, it usually affects the knee, the spine, the hand, and the foot. And... Um, yeah, so, but for whatever reason, smoking seems to, um, yeah, significantly decrease someone's risk at developing osteoarthritis in those four, um, in those four sort of sites. Hmm. Um, it's been theorized that um, out of the sort of 400 agents found in cigarette smoke, um, nicotine is actually one of the most physio- physiologically active components. And, um, and it, apparently it's, it's a potent stimulator of bone cell synthetic activity. Hmm. So I'm not, I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> it's interesting too, because I know nicotine is a, is a potent anti-inflammatory. 
Um, yeah. and I know yeah. that, that a lot of the therapeutic, uh, benefits of a lot of the, the herbal remedies for osteoarthritis are through anti-inflammatory type pathways. So I, I would speculate that maybe that has something to do with it. Like, I mean, one of the most popular herbs for, um, osteoarthritis is, uh, turmeric using, uh, curcumin, which is the, the main kind of anti-inflammatory compound in turmeric. So yeah, it could be, it could be very similar. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if that would um, if that would work with a sort of topical application of the tobacco leaf as well, or mm. maybe some sort of tincture to the area where you're say if you if you don't like to smoke, you've tried it, you know you don't really work well with it. Um, what's to say that you wouldn't be able to buy some tobacco leaves and actually um, you know say wrap it around the joint or you know use it as a, a sort of band aid. Um, yeah, we'll be getting on to speak about how this this has been quite a common treatment method um, in many of the different sort of ancient cultures. They didn't necessarily used to smoke it, but they used to use it as a topical application, and that still seems to work. Um, so I'd imagine that even if you're not a smoker, it can still the benefits of tobacco can still sort of um, become absorbed via the skin. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, and we, we can uh, we can delve into this a little bit more, like you said, as we get into the history. But one of the things I had found was um, nico, nico, uh, how do you pronounce this? Nicotiana rustica, uh, which is uh, wild tobacco, mostly grown in uh, South America, is a lot higher, uh, has a lot higher concentrations of nicotine in it. And one of the common usages of that was making a... Um, kind of a paste that would be spread on the skin. Mm. Okay. Well, um, moving on, <laughs> one of the most remarkable things about smoking and nicotine um, is actually its benefit for people with um, neurological issues. Mm. Now, I think I think out of everything... Um, in in the sort of scientific community, um, this is really the main area that they're focusing on, sort of using tobacco um, to, you know, to to create treatments um, and drugs specifically to, um, you know, to help people with neurological problems. Um, first of all, I mean, there's there's Parkinson's disease, and now for what I know of Parkinson's disease, it's typically um, sort of characterized by a lack of dopamine in the system and for whatever reason um the body metabolizes dopamine at a much faster rate and this leaves a person with much lower dopamine levels so from what we were speaking about last week um if we consider the the monoamine oxidase in inhibition so the the enzyme that is inhibited from degrading dopamine um it would make make a lot of sense as to why Parkinson's um, why Parkinson's is, is one of these sort of diseases that tobacco really, really shines, shines light on, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, people, I mean, there, there was one particular study that um, analyzed the smoking history of uh, 80,000 women and 63,000 men and found that um, former, former smokers had a 22 lower risk of develop, 
developing Parkinson's disease, whereas current smokers actually had a 73% lower risk than non-smokers. Wow. Now, that's, wow. A, that's a pretty big statistic, you know? Yeah. Um, there was no... Oh, do we Sorry. have to know what the what the cross section was for that study? You know how many subjects? Uh, how many? It was it was done on um, eighty thousand women and sixty three thousand men. Oh, well, that's pretty big. So yeah, it's it's a pretty big study, and um, the um, the results have actually been replicated a number of times. Um, there's another one done that showed um, a strong inverse association between smokers and Parkinson's. Um, but what was most interesting about this study was actually that the inverse association strongly increased with people who were heavy smokers. So mm. basically what it, what it showed, what it showed was, was that the more someone smoked, the more cigarettes someone smoked per day actually decreased their, their likelihood of developing Parkinson's even more. Hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they concluded that, um, nicotine afforded significant neuroprotection to dopamine neurons. Um, so this is really important information for people with Parkinson's disease and people looking to prevent Parkinson's disease. I wonder if there will ever be a study on people who currently have Parkinson's disease and if they start smoking, what what will it do to their symptoms like the tremors and the balance and the, uh, the speech changes and all of that. I'd like to see that, but it probably won't be done because they'd be, considered, no. you know, exposing them to cancer risk. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. hold your breath yeah. on that one. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd love to see the day when actually uh, smoking gets prescribed for uh, Parkinson's and those at risk of Parkinson's. But again, wow. I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Yeah. I mean, similar results have actually been shown in people with Alzheimer's disease as well. Um, one study showed a stronger, strong inverse association between smokers and individuals with Alzheimer's disease. Um, the author concluded in that study that the risk of Alzheimer's disease decreased with increasing daily numbers of cigarettes smoked before the <laughs> onset of disease. So much like the study that we just spoke about um on Parkinson's, this one actually showed that people who smoked more were less likely to get Alzheimer's than people who smoked less, you know? Hmm. So it seems that quantity does, does actually matter in these cases, uh, which obviously goes against what we're currently told, you know, and even what a lot of scientists say about how, okay, maybe you can get benefits from smoking one or two cigarettes a day, but if you smoke 40, then it's going to be really bad for your health. <laughs> these, these studies basically just blow that out of the water. <laughs> and what they say to me is, you know, start chain smoking. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, I mean, that connection actually makes a lot of sense too. Uh, there was an article uh, we were looking at for the um, – for the preparation for this show, and it was on SOD. It's from a while ago, um, March of 2011, called Science is Conclusive, Tobacco Increases Work Capacity. And it's basically just showing all this different science that that shows that it increases brain power. So if you, if you draw the conclusion or the, the correlation between uh, Alzheimer's and, you know, your, your general brain power, that uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're talking about how scientists and athletes and all these other people are using 
tobacco. And it seems like this contradiction, like this uh, uh, smoker's paradox, but people actually are more functional. And it even includes non-smokers who use nicotine in these studies, that it actually does benefit brain power. Yeah, I've worked mm-hmm. with yeah. a lot of Alzheimer's patients, like in hospitals or nursing homes or even in their private homes, and none of them were smokers. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You should have suggested it. <laughs> maybe take up smoking. Maybe you should try that. <laughs> well, maybe well, they forget they... that they don't smoke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there would be some correlation to there. I mean, if you're being uh, like uh, an environmental correlation in the sense that if you're being treated for Alzheimer's, you are most likely in, you know, a a medical environment, either um, Mm. in a home or something like that, where there's a heavy emphasis on medical treatment, obviously, and you're surrounded by doctors and medical professionals. And so the general consensus would be, that smoking is bad and so i guess in Mm. in that kind of a scenario it wouldn't surprise me that there are less you know people with alzheimer's that smoke just because that would be you know in their day-to-day they would have that um you know programmed opinion that that smoking is bad Mm -hmm. yeah well um there's actually current treatment methods um, for people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, so ADHD uh, in short. And Tourette's syndrome is actually something that's um, people with Tourette's benefit greatly from using nicotine. Now, I would mm. imagine that they're not using smoking as a, a sort of mode of, um, of treatment. They're probably using nicotine patches or nicotine gum in this. But um, but they've got some really fascinating results. Um, there's also this. There's a substance in um, in 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 tobacco. It's called cotinine or, or cotinine. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. But that's also being studied extensively uh, at the minute for its benefit beneficial effects. And that's basically one of um, one of nicotine's metabolites in the body. So when you when you when you ingest nicotine it turns into this cotinine substance and it's been shown you know just to help um learning memory you know it it also protects brain cells from damage um so there's this researchers are sort of speculating that perhaps this is one of the main reasons why alzheimer's patients um or why why it's such why you've got a lower risk of getting Alzheimer's if you're a smoker because you've got this uh, this 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 protection for your cells in your brain in your nervous system. Hmm. And is that substance found with um, using things like patches and gum, or is it just with smoking? Well, I would imagine that it was it, because it's one of nicotine's metabolites. I'd imagine any form of ingested nicotine hmm. would essentially metabolize into into this substance. But then again, this is, you know, to say that taking nicotine gum is anywhere near as, as beneficial as, as smoking a cigarette, you know, that that would be just, you know, that's based on a faulty on a faulty assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Be um, interesting to see some of these kids, you know, all these kids with ADHD. It's like they're prescribed to go out and smoke before class <laughs> so they can pay attention a little bit better. <laughs> Well, yeah, because Ritalin is so much safer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly, yeah. 
But one of, one of the most fascinating statistics um, it, when we're sort of talking about mental health is, um, is with schizophrenia. It, one, one study um, that I found actually estimated that there were approximately um, 90% of schizophrenics were smokers. Hmm. And the researchers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the researchers looked at this and they were like, this can't be true, you know, what, what is it about smoking that, that attracts schizophrenics so much? And schizophrenics have been shown to be, uh, to be between 30 to 60% less likely to develop lung cancer and other lung cancers. And <laughs> funny enough, you know, then if there's 90% of schizophrenics that are smokers, and yet, for some reason, they're 30 to 60% less likely to develop lung cancer. Then what does that tell you about lung cancer as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, popular. It's been theorized that basically the high smoking rates in schizophrenics, um, the reason for this is because it basically stimulates the cognitive effects of nicotine. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, it helps schizophrenics filter out irrelevant external sensory information. They're constantly Hmm. bombarded with all of the sensory information that they can't um, properly deal with. And so smoking helps them sort of, um, you know, categorize all the information in the environment and and, and to be able to to sort of process it in in a much better way. Sure. Um, There was a study at Yale University, and that found that um, when study subjects with schizophrenia stopped smoking, attention and short-term memory were more impaired. But when they started smoking again, their cognitive function improved. Hmm. Um, Another study from Sweden actually showed that the more cigarettes men smoked at an earlier age, the lower chance they had of developing schizophrenia later in life. Hmm. And... The conclusion to that was basically that smoking acts as a neuroprotective, preventative measure against developing schizophrenia. Hmm. And this this is the case with um, with many different mental illnesses. You know, we've talked about like Tourette's syndrome. Um, There's there's all sorts of sort of psychiatric disorders that you know clearly benefit from smoking cigarettes. But what I find most um, upsetting, really, is that when you go to a hospital or when you go to a psychiatric hospital, often it says no smoking on the grounds. So the inpatients who are, who are clearly unstable mentally um, are actually being prevented from smoking. And, mm. this, you know, this is essentially deprivation. You know, I work with a guy who's got bipolar disorder and he smokes like a chimney. And what the... My manager and the team of people that I work with are continually trying to to sort of encourage him to stop smoking. It was only a few weeks ago that he did stop smoking. He started smoking one of these pens, mm. and um, yeah, it's sad. It's sad to see because it seems like he is um, he's not going through a good time at the minute. And I would say that that is probably because he's been forced to stop smoking, or he's been encouraged mm. to stop smoking. Um, but I think how how many, you know, how 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 often does this occur? You know, people with mental illness who are genuinely suffering and they self-medicate with with tobacco, and yet they live in a society where they're told that they should continually stop smoking. 
Um, you know, it's it's just a sad thing to see. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of schizophrenics, too, in the hospitals and in the communities. And it is like a crime that they don't let them smoke. Like one of the psychiatric units I worked on, they wouldn't even let them outside. It was a locked unit. But there were other uh, psychiatric units that I've been to where they had like a little courtyard area and they would let them smoke. They probably changed it by now. But um, Mm -hmm. if you're in a nursing home, you are allowed to smoke. They'll keep your cigarettes for you and you're given like some, you know, a couple certain times of the day and you can go out in the courtyard and smoke. But um, it's true that like loads of schizophrenic smoke. um, I've worked with a lot and I'd say that with the exception of maybe one that I can remember, he didn't smoke. But everybody else did. And then when I was in uh, grad school, I did like a survey. It wasn't like a a large amount of people, but I worked in an outpatient mental health center. And I just surveyed all the people who smoked, and most of them did. But I also asked if they ever had like any kind of lung condition, and they didn't. (laughs) They hadn't had pleurisy. They didn't have bronchitis or asthma or any of those things. (laughs) <laughs> well i can yeah. imagine with the uh the the, the really hardcore um aversion to smoking that's been put in place now i mean you know like we talked about last week uh it is so demonized and it's been changed from like gordon pointed out from being a habit uh or even a hobby uh to an addiction uh, which means now that you're a diseased person. And of course, because uh, of the smell and other factors, um, people label it as, you know, disgusting and dirty. Um, that, uh, I mean, I, I don't see any time soon any medical facilities like that, you know, even psychiatric facilities uh, being open to the idea of, of looking into smoking. I mean, you'd have to have, I guess, a really open-minded uh, supervisor who was willing to try something like that out. But even in that case, then they would probably, you know, um, be reprimanded for, for, for allowing that. Hmm. I mean, is this, uh, Tiff, I guess you could speak to this a little more. Is this like, is this a legal policy now or is it more like an institutional policy? I think it's more of an institutional policy because I don't know what they do currently, but like I said, there are some that did allow the patients to smoke. But I think that the providers in those instances know that so many people smoke. They don't even try to, like, really go after them to stop compared to other Mm -hmm. places where I've worked where the people weren't schizophrenic or anything. They just had health issues um, where they're always telling them to stop smoking, stop smoking, stop smoking. But with schizophrenics, people, eh, they kind of leave them alone, at least in my in my estimation. Um, and a lot of the people that I talk to who were schizophrenic and they smoke, and I'll ask them, like, why do you smoke? What do you get out of it? And they said, well, it helps me with stress. They don't necessarily say it helps me think better or anything, but it says it relaxes mm. them, it calms them down, and it helps them with stress. And they are not interested in stopping whatsoever. <laughs> mm. I wonder if maybe from a more, like, acceptable sort of viewpoint, uh, you know, sort of like a compromise with the establishment, so to speak. Um, if, you know, just using nicotine supplements like patches or the well, oral spray. 
Yeah, they'll give know. out patches if you ask for yeah. them in the hospital. But mm-hmm. nobody wants that. They want to smoke. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, w- I would assume if somebody saw, uh, you know, you see this, the study that shows that like 90% of schizophrenics smoke. I'm surprised we didn't get all these headlines saying smoking causes schizophrenia, <laughs> given the state of science as it is today, you know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just throwing around correlations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, it's interesting too how the, you know, as you talked about on the show last week, this demonization, you know, just looking through the internet at health and wellness articles and one came up recently that was why sunlight deficiency is as deadly as smoking and um you know, it's a, it's basically a study about sunlight deficiency and the actual name of the study was avoidance of sun exposure as a risk factor for major causes of death, a competing risk analysis of melanoma in Southern Sweden cohort. So it didn't have anything to do with smoking, but in, in the study, and this was carried on green med info by Sayer G. Um, they said, you know, the findings um, are Non-smokers who avoided sun exposure had a life expectancy similar to smokers in the highest sun exposure groups, indicating that avoidance of sun exposure is a risk factor for death of a similar magnitude as smoking. <laughs> Which was just like, where, where did where did they pull that out of there? You know what I'm yeah. saying? It just, and it was just interesting that the headlines is so different than what the actual content of the article was. Does that make sense? You guys understand yeah. what I'm saying here? I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah. Well, that's always, that's always the case when you're reading like health and wellness articles and stuff, it's as bad as smoking or, you know, worse than smoking. Like it's just so programmed into people that smoking is the ultimate evil, the worst thing you can possibly do for your health. So as a way of kind of, you know, uh, stating the magnitude of some finding. They're like, it's as bad as smoking. And it's like, oh my God, as bad as smoking. Well, smoking is the yeah. worst. So it means something's worse than smoking or as bad as it. That's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These beliefs are only relatively recent though. You know, they've only come around in the last sort of 60, 70 years. Um, yeah. b- before that, <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> It was well known that smoking or tobacco was uh was extremely you know beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. you know, do- mm-hmm. like you see all those ads like from the fifties and stuff like that of doctors recommending smoking, and it's like today people look at that and go, "Oh, look how naive we were! Look how uh, ridiculous that is!" But but really, it actually makes sense. You know, a doctor like you know, there's an ad for a particular cigarette brand, and a doctor is like, "I only smoke camels." Like, yeah. and, and you know, as, as ridiculous as that seems, it's like they actually maybe knew something that we, we've lost at this point or has been programmed yeah. out of us. <laughs> I wonder if it's even been 60 or 70 years. I mean, I know where you're coming from, like probably since about the 50s. But even when I was young, you know, in the uh, in the 80s, so like I'm 36, um, that, you know, uh, it, it it was considered kind of meh like people didn't like people that smoked but there wasn't this like real vehemence about it and um you know i i still remember uh seeing people smoke in airports um and when i used to play hockey like in the in the hockey rink all the parents would smoke in the rink 
you know, mm. and of course that would never happen now, not a chance. No. You know, so I think like the, it's really been ramped up just even in the last like, uh, 20 to 25 years. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah no, I remember as a kid when, when I was like in uh public school, we would all like, you know, they had all the kids make anti-smoking posters and things like that. Like it, it really like, I think that, that what you're seeing now is a generation that has grown up with this, this, uh, strong propaganda against smoking. Um, and, and what you, what you see is like, it's just the norm now is to be completely anti-smoking. And even if you're a smoker, you're a self-hating smoker. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it really has been ramped up. And I, you know, yeah. I just wonder why that is, you know, out of all the different, um, things that, uh, you know, the, the culture could be kind of aligned against, why is there such a vehemence against smoking? I would speculate it's because it makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, the people on the top level know that it helps you think, but the average person probably isn't privy to that information and they're just following what the people in power say and they mm-hmm. you know, just go off just because they think it stinks or, you know, this is going to set off my asthma or this is going to kill me through secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. I don't think the average person knows that smoking has all these benefits, but the people at the top probably do. Yeah, it makes me wonder where, like, who at the top knows and who is it who's kind of dictating this, uh, this anti, I mean, you know, it's just a matter of, of putting out the, the right propaganda at the right time and then everybody kind of picks that up. But, you know, it, it does kind of look like there was some kind of conscious manipulation going on there at some level. Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Got... Sorry, uh, go ahead, uh, it just occurred to me that this uh, it, it does seem to have ramped up at around the same time as the anti-saturated fat movement, which was mm. what like uh, like in the early '80s when when the uh, when the food pyramid was changed and the dietary suggestions were changed, um, mm. and everybody switched from you know butter to margarine, um, from high fat to high carb, and things like that, um, and. I don't know. It, it's it is a curious thing. It's a, I guess it's a bit of a tinfoil hat speculation, but yeah, um, there does seem to be this this major shift in areas of of culture, uh, you know, leaning towards um, just general day to day practices that uh, that don't stimulate thinking. I mean, let alone you know, I'm not even talking about like media and you know Facebook and things like that. Yeah. I also wonder about the pharmaceutical industry, though, too, you know, with uh, with the tobacco being a plant-based product and then the rise of pharmaceutical drugs, especially with mental health illnesses, as Elliot was describing. Yeah, I mean, don't you think it's just kind of insane that they can tax or they, they can basically prohibit or I don't know how it is in the United States. I think you can grow your own tobacco, can't you? Whereas... In the UK, we're not allowed to grow our own tobacco. Um, really? Yeah, hmm. it's it's illegal to grow to grow tobacco, Jeez. but it's, I mean, it's not illegal to grow like a basil plant or you know, <laughs> like right. some par- some parsley in your garden. But you're not allowed to to grow tobacco because hmm. apparently they can't tax it. <laughs> like, just how, how how crazy is that? It's a plant. It's it. it just doesn't really make any sense yeah yeah that's ridiculous you still still can uh 
can grow tobacco in the states. Uh, and there's an interesting distinction here too between the taxes on what's considered processed tobacco and whole leaf tobacco. Um, for instance, if you order whole leaf, uh, it's not taxed. Um, but as soon as it's ground and uh, you know ground into uh, into strips like that, you could roll, uh, then it's taxed. Um, so oh. and the dif- the difference is insane. It's like a, it's like five hundred percent cost difference. You know, processed to ground tobacco is is approximately anywhere between like sixty to a hundred dollars per pound, whereas whole leaf tobacco you can get for as low as fifteen dollars a pound. Huh. Yeah. Um, and knock, knock on wood that nobody in the government is, is hearing this right now. I don't you know, because there, there are some pushes in the, in the, uh, in Congress and the Senate right now to pass, uh, taxation on, on whole leaf tobacco as well. And I'm just fingers crossed that that doesn't go through because it's kind of the last bastion of, of getting affordable tobacco. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because um, I switched over to whole leaf tobacco sort of um, must be about two years ago now. And we we actually order it from America. And it's the same in in the UK. Um, It's that like really strange distinction between unprocessed whole leaf. But then as soon as you grind it down into smokable tobacco, it becomes taxed. So theoretically, by law... um, <laughs> By law, what we're meant to do is anyone in the UK who imports whole leaf tobacco, we're meant to notify um, customs. We're meant to notify um, the revenue and basically say, "Hey guys, look, we've uh, we've ground our tobacco down now, and we're going to pay you our taxes." <laughs> and what they're actually doing is they've passed a new law, which comes into um, comes into action. I think it's in January which is basically if you're going to import whole leaf tobacco into the UK, then you have to um, you have to pay tax on it from now on. And you have to actually register on this um, on this database so they can basically monitor how much tobacco you are smoking and how much tax you need to pay. So, um, yeah, it's pretty bad for us over here in the UK. Um, and I hope that that doesn't happen in the US. But I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Do you know? Well, it's LA, interesting you, know, you bring. Oh, go on, Jonathan. Oh, sorry, Erica. I was just curious. Do you know what the penalties are for growing tobacco in the UK? Because I, I remember hearing that in Australia, it's it's really insane. It's like fifty thousand dollars, like the fine if you get caught growing tobacco. <laughs> Jeez. The tobacco um, police sure. are going to come to your house. <laughs> yeah. Look in your garden. Make sure you're not growing tobacco. I doubt they would even know what it looks like. <laughs> they think it grows in the form of cigarettes already. <laughs> Cigarette tree. <laughs> well, there's an interesting discussion in the chat right now about um, even restrictions on where you're allowed to smoke. I know in Canada right now, it's uh, it, it's pretty atrocious, the laws that have come in about, you know, even on patios at restaurants and things like that, you're not allowed to smoke there. Um, I know there was uh, a move a while ago. I don't think anything actually came of it, but they were trying to um, restrict smoking in outdoor spaces, outdoor public spaces. So, like, you aren't allowed to, like, if you go to see your kid's soccer game or something like that, you can't smoke while you're watching it. Or, uh, you know, in a park or something like that. Like, these public spaces that are outdoor, they're trying to ban smoking. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
In the U.S. Yeah, too, in cars, if you have children, there's been, you know, action on that too. If you smoke in the car with your children, you can, you know, get in trouble. I don't know if it actually passed or not, but, you know, more of that scaring, you know, secondhand smoke, you're a bad parent, you know. Yeah. Yeah, some of that seems like common sense to me, I think, you know. I mean, it's like there are cases where you should in cases where you shouldn't like my, my grandmother used to smoke with my dad in the car when he was young and not let him roll the windows down. And I was like, <laughs> you know, grandma, you're being kind of a jerk there. <laughs> you know? but, but, but banning, you know, banning smoking in cars, which is, I think where it's headed um, to the point where, you know, if a cop sees you with a cigarette in your hand, you could get a ticket that is, is over the top. There's even some apartment complexes now that won't let you smoke in your own apartment. <laughs> and like when yeah, I was we, like we right before I was house. going into high school, like I grew up in the 70s and 80s, the high school students, they had a smoking room for the students. All you needed was a note from your parent. I think you had to be like 16 or something, a note from <laughs> your parent, and you could go into the smoking room during the day and smoke. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How's wow. that for good parenting? I remember, <laughs> I remember when I well when when I when I went to school, uh, whenever I was caught smoking, I, I had a letter sent home to my parents in after school detention. Oh. So things hmm. have really changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember when I was in high school, like the desks. You know, I guess there wasn't a great deal of uh, public school funding the desks were all from like the 50s and stuff and there were actually ashtrays built into the desks <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but we weren't allowed to use them of course but <laughs> are you sure those won't ink wells <laughs> no I, they were ashtrays they full they full on were there, there were ashtrays in the desks <laughs> well now they're not making cars with ashtrays anymore no, or cigarette yeah. lighters yep. yeah <laughs> or I remember on planes, there was always like on the arm of the chair, there was a little ashtray there all the yeah. time, a little lidded, lidded ashtray. You don't see those anymore. <laughs> well, it's kind of like prohibition. I mean, you can outlaw it, but you really think people aren't going to do it, you know? Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, if it did get to that point, uh, you know, I've already heard people of, of mixed mind about it. You know, people say, well, of course, if they start to ban it in your home, in your car, in your yard, you know, if the cop comes by and sees you smoking in your yard, you're going to get a ticket like that, I think, is the point where, where people would start to get really angry about it. Um, but I find the general kind of mixed opinion about, for instance, not being able to smoke in bars anymore. Um, people will just go outside. And it's kind of a mm-hmm. pain, especially when it's cold. But I've also heard even smokers say, you know, well, it's it's actually kind of nice because now the inside is you're not getting like totally smoked out and you don't stink when you go home. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people are of mixed opinions about it. So we're kind of on that cusp of like the regulatory measures being just acceptable enough to be OK. Um, but I don't think that it'll be too long before they stray into the area where it's like, all right, this is straight up totalitarianism, you know, like. You can't tell me what to do in my house, in my car, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, it does What's seem it? like um, it does seem like like the the control is really, or they they're really trying to sort of clamp down on smoking now, um, with compared to other times. And I mean, this has been done many times before before in history. 
mostly in Europe. But there, there's actually been, um, you know, the death penalty in a few countries in Europe. I think there was a death penalty in, in, in the UK. Uh, this was maybe three, 300, 400 years ago for smoking. And, it, hmm. you know, um, it, it's not the first time that this has happened. Hmm. Yeah, I got death a little penalty bit for smoking. I did. I did a little bit of research on the the history of tobacco and its growth throughout the world. It was a paper written by Jason Young at Stanford EDU, and they talk about how tobacco was one of the most important cash crops in the, in American farming, and they just go into how it became known to the rest of the European world in the 15th and 16th centuries. Um, being used as a medicine and a hallucinogen by Native Americans. And the explorers returned to Europe with this newfound plant, and it quickly was adopted by the rich and poor alike as a drug of choice. So it said it was banned at first by kings and popes. Its economic effects and broad popularity forced acceptance among all cultures, and it quickly spread throughout the civilized world and became a foundation for the growth of the American economy. And they actually go on to talk about how, um, you know, the founding of, of the U.S. Jamestown, you know, in Virginia, that um, this this whole tobacco industry, like the, um, the American, you know, people who were immigrating to America were really poor and they were growing a little bit of tobacco and shipping it to Europe uh, around the 17th century and it wasn't well received because of this the spanish tobacco was superior but then the colonists learned their lessons and started to grow and sell their own superior product um to meet the growing demand in europe and they actually talk about how um john uh i can't remember his last name but he was this husband of pocahontas and john that smith he, wasn't it um rolf was his uh, oh. john rolf so in 1612, John Rolfe, an Englishman and future husband of Pocahontas, planted seeds of the West Indian variety of tobacco that flourished and produced tobacco much stronger and sweeter than the short, tough variety previously grown in the area. Small amounts were sent to London, and a tremendous demand grew for the new Jamestown product. In 1617 production began in earnest and there's this uh little quote by J john smith captain J john smith talking about how the colony's new governor arrived to find but five or six houses the church was broken down the palisades broken the bridge in pieces the well of fresh water was spoiled but in a sign of success the marketplace the streets and all the other spare places were planted with tobacco Hmm. Exports steadily increased. Exports steadily increased, and demand from England increased more quickly. Jamestown had found its cash crop, and the colonies had begun to guarantee their future. And so they go on to talk about how tobacco was so important to the colonists that it became the legal currency in Maryland and Virginia. Local men could buy uh, use tobacco to buy their groceries and for a short period of time to purchase the rights to English women who were imported by the company looking for husbands in the colony. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little history of tobacco. <laughs> wow. well, yeah, the, uh, the interest, uh, the history of tobacco is actually really interesting because it, it comes back to the idea um, 
or it, it sort of questions the idea that's this heavily sort of promulgated now that tobacco is actually um, harmful to the health because when they first discovered um, tobacco, it, it was actually Columbus, um, his sort of the group that he was traveling with when they got to um, America, they found the Native Americans growing and using tobacco and they used it as a medicine. And um, the, basically the name tobacco was actually, uh, it wasn't actually the name of the plant. Um, tobacco was the name of the pipe that they used to snort it through. So <clears throat> the pipe was called the tobacco or the tobacco. But the actual plant itself among the Native Americans was um, it had a few different names. So there was Petum, um, Kogayoba, uh, Cohoba, Quoyetl, Pisietl and Yietl. And so these were basically the names that the Native Americans used to um, they used to ascribe to this this plant. But funnily enough, um, among these sort of indigenous populations especially in the amazon and in south america um there was a whole sort of religion based on tobacco in and of itself um among these sort of indigenous populations where um where the sort of typical healer shamanic type individuals who um i guess they could be attributed to doctors in our day now um, but these were, they, they went by many different names. Um, uh, what they, what they used to claim to do was use tobacco and they, they, they worshipped it almost. It, they used to call it the holy herb. And these doctors or these shamanic pra- practitioners were actually named the tabaqueros. Um, there's there's many different accounts um, of these these tabaqueros. What they used to do was they used to inhale the smoke of the t- the tobacco plant, breathe it on um, on someone who was suffering from a from an illness, and this is the way that they would cure these individuals. And they even went further as to ingest um, large quantities of tobacco, which was very strong and to set themselves into some sort of hallucinatory state where they would supposedly um, communicate with higher entities or with their god and hmm. come back down. They, they, yeah, it's really interesting. They used to, they claim that it, it's sort of their contact with the spirit world. Hmm. And um, so... Basically, the guys from Europe, when they first got to Native America, they were really interested in this. And what they found, they found some really interesting things. Um, They found that tobacco was actually used as a toothpaste, for one. So it used to whiten the teeth of the people. Hmm. What? Uh, They also... (laughs) Everybody knows tobacco makes your teeth turn brown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently when you use the leaf, uh, yeah. You rub it on the tooth, that actually cleans the tooth. Mm. But there, there was a guy called Pedro Alvarez Cabral, and this was in Brazil. And he basically reported that um, tobacco was used for treating ulcerati- ulcerative um, abscesses, fistulas, sores, invertebrate polyp- polyps, and many other ailments. Um, there was a Spanish priest called Bernardino de Sahagun, 
And he basically collect, collected information from four Mexican physicians in, in, in 1529. And, um, yeah, he documented all of the medicinal purposes that were used for tobacco in that time. And he recorded that breathing the odor of fresh green leaves of the plant re- relieved persistent headaches. For colds <laughs> and catarrh, green or powdered leaves should be rubbed around the inside of the mouth. And diseases um, of glands in the neck could be cured by cutting out the root of the lesion and placing on it crushed tobacco plant. So there, there were loads of different um, sort of medicinal properties that these guys found, and this was in the 1500s. So they they took it back to um, back to Europe, and what they actually um, it, it, it it basically became like a common treatment. For the doctors and they were prescribing it outright everywhere and it became really big in europe and nicotine was actually known or tobacco was actually known as one of the the best medicinal um herbs that were currently available hmm. well it seems that the history of smoking goes back even farther there was an article on sat that was called um First solid evidence of ancient Mayans tobacco use. And there was a flask and the translated name of the writing on that flask was the home of his tobacco. And the flask was dated back to 700 AD. And there was also another paper that I saw that says that tobacco has been around and has been smoked for about 18,000 years. So that's like super old it doesn't go into like how it was prepared or what they did to smoke it like wrap it in a leaf or anything i can't imagine maybe they did have pipes i don't know but it's pretty ancient there was also another uh good article on site called the long forgotten healing properties of tobacco and it says that throughout South and North America, tobacco was consumed in a lot of different ways. They either chewed it, they could sniff it like in a, what they call it, snuff. They smoked it, of course. They would eat the leaves. They would juice the leaves and smear the juice over their bodies. They even used it in eye drops and in enemas. Um, some people... Depending on the tribe, they used it, like, purely for recreation, mostly like we do. But for other tribes, there was, like, a more mystical meaning. Like, they would offer it up to the gods as uh, offerings, like, put a little wad of tobacco on the, at the base of a tree. Um, like, their healing ceremonies, they would offer tobacco to the gods because it was, like, a connection to the spiritual world. And they would use a smoke and they would blow it over the fields before they planted the fields. They would blow tobacco smoke over women before having sex. They would blow it into warriors' faces before they went away onto battle. And, um, yeah, so it's a lot of uh, historical uses for tobacco. I think maybe back then it was more of like a sacrament versus, you know, what we do now. Um, hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it was sort of commonly known among those sort of um, those cultures is that tobacco is a way to protect against um, what they called negative spirits. And I guess to get a little bit more speculative here, um, perhaps tobacco does have some some protective uh, sort of quality that... um, 
aside from enhancing cognitive function and, and health, perhaps there is something to that. I'm not sure because it's 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 common in in many of the different cultures. Um, what's what's most interesting is how tobacco is still actually used in so many different countries um, in medicine. You know, like in the Western world, it's really common, or it's you know, like you ask someone, you know, what do you think of smoking, and they'll say smoking is really bad. Okay, but that is, that actually isn't the case in. <laughs> in many countries outside of the western world like for instance china in china the state-owned um tobacco monopoly they basically recommend smoking for health you know um, hmm. doctors use smoking they use tobacco in their in their medicinal practice you know um and and china's got one of the highest rates of smoking in the in the world um i, I came across there's there, there's a book online um it was on it's on medicinal herbs and botanicals and it basically lists like a, uh, all of these different countries that use tobacco in their medicine and so it says like for instance in in brazil um the dried dried leaf is used as an, as an insecticide um leaves are heated and the juice is squeezed out mixed with an ash from bark of the threoboma species and um yeah, they use this to basically, um, they, they rub it on sprains and bruises. Uh, the leaf juice is also taken orally to induce vomiting and narcosis. Um, in Colombia, they basically take the fresh leaf and use it as a poultice over boils and infected wounds. Um, they, they use it to prevent baldness. Yeah, I <laughs> and, <like> that too. <laughs> yeah. So anyone who's going bald, like, you can just get some tobacco and... See how it works. <laughs> they mix it with palm oil. Like they take the juice from the tobacco leaf, mix it with palm oil, and rub it on their heads. <laughs> yeah. Um, in East Africa, they use it. Uh, they dry the leaves out and use it to destroy um, worms that are in sores. Um, in mm. Ecuador, they use the juice um, to treat pulmonary ailments. Um, they apply the leaf juice to slister, by, by slister alone or mixed with ayahuasca to induce vomiting before um, a tub, tobacco ayahuasca enema, which is meant to apparently uh, cleanse out the colon. Hmm. Um, and there's like hmm. this whole whole list of all of these different countries like Fiji, Guatemala, Haiti, India, Iran, Kenya, Malaysia, Mexico, Nepal. Nigeria, Papua New Guinea, Paraguay, Peru, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, <laughs> Turkey. You know, all of these different countries, they, they still use tobacco in, in, in their medicinal practice, funnily enough. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's only like, um, it's only common among the Western world to think that tobacco is actually bad. Well, it's really interesting to hear all the uh, anti-parasitic, anti—you know—like pesticide-type qualities of tobacco, because I know I had had read. Now, this is going back a ways, but um, the the idea that tobacco is something that will kill off like parasitic organisms in the body, and that one of the reasons that people who are kind of riddled with candida. Um, this kind of fungal infection are so uh, reactive to uh, tobacco smoke and, and, and can't stand it is that basically it's killing off um, the candida and they're having uh, die-off reactions just by being exposed to like other people smoking. 
So a lot of times when you come across these people who are these vehement anti-smokers and can't seem to stand smoke anywhere within their environment, um, it might be that they're just like overrun with this candida. Hmm. Well, there is this um, researcher named Jean Nico. I assume he's a Frenchman, but uh, his last name Nico is where they got nicotine from. And he used to use poultices to cure cancer. So he'd make a tobacco poultice and use it on women with breast cancer. And he also uh, used it to uh, treat ulcerative colitis, sarcoidosis, endometrial cancers, and uterine fibroids. Hmm. And they've also found like another uh, component of tobacco called sembranoids. And that's been shown to have anti-cancer effects. Um, They find the cimbronoids on like this waxy coating that's on the tobacco leaves, on fresh tobacco leaves. And they are thinking that they can use it for metastatic breast cancer and prostate cancer. So it's kind of like Hmm. it acts as an insecticide against microbial infections, too, they found. Yeah. And they, they derive CoQ10 from tobacco leaves, too. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, apparently it's like the most abundant source in nature of CoQ10. Mm-hmm. And that's where wow. a lot of the supplement companies actually get it from. <laughs> is, uh, is, is <laughs> they probably don't publicize that. <laughs> but it's interesting, Tiff, that you mentioned um, the, that, the French ambassador in, um, in Lisbon, uh, Nicote, because there's, uh, there's an account of one of his cooks, basically, in, in his household. Um, the cook nearly cut off his thumb when he was chopping, um, chopping the food. And so the steward apparently um, ran for the tobacco plant straight away and bound the thumb back on. And after five or six dressings of the same sort, the wound heal- healed. <laughs> and so wow. the, the word... the. The name nicotine was was named after Nicot was because he was such an avid believer that nicotine or that tobacco was so um, beneficial. And apparently he was so liberal and generous with the tobacco and he was basically recommending it for for basically anything and everything throughout Europe. And this was in the 1500s or whatever. Um, That's why that's why they called it nicotine. It was after him because he was so so liberal with it. Hmm. Um, it was interesting because in 1958, um, there was a paper. Yeah, there was basically a review of all of the different um, sort of scientific studies that were published between 1785 and 1860. And basically, it, it was found that um, out of 128 cases, 97 treatments with tobacco were successful. There were four that were fatal and 10, um, 10 that poisoned the patients and then 17 of other outcomes. But out of the 128 cases, they essentially found that 97 of those were successful. So the overwhelming majority of cases that were treated purely with tobacco um, actually were, were shown to work. But then it's... <sighs> It's just very confusing how you have all of this evidence and then after the 1950s, 60s, 70s, you you know, it all seemingly just gets lost. And this, you know, this seemingly common common knowledge 
of tobacco um, is completely flipped upside down. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, I'd like to pose a question to all of you and ask, um, how good of a driver do you think you all are? <laughs> um, pretty decent. N- not bad, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not a good driver. <laughs> no, but there was a study that they did, and it said that smokers are better drivers, and they score better hmm. on driving tests and overview, focus, and steering maneuvers, and they also respond quicker on the brakes when they compare them to non-smokers. The study also showed that smokers showed no aggressiveness while driving, and they handled emergency situations better. And they also said that smokers can maintain concentration for a longer amount of time without getting tired, while in non-smokers, their concentration breaks down. Hmm. So, so, so we well, all need to print up that study, and if we get pulled over for smoking, just <laughs> hand yeah, exactly. it to the officer. Yeah, <laughs> really, I'm a super driver. <laughs> no, that that would make sense though, because every single time I get into into my car, like I need a cigarette. Me too. Every single to. time, I need I need to be lighting up. I have to. And when I'm on a long journey, I, I you know I purposefully roll like five or six. Just to have them there so, you know, I can constantly keep smoking while I'm driving. And I do feel that it helps me. Mm. Well, it would make sense, you know, considering the evidence that we've looked at uh, with the uh, the mental and cognitive effects of nicotine. I mean, there's a pretty clear correlation that you can draw there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in 1997, they did a, a test where they kept... Uh, two groups of people up all night. One was a group of smokers, one was non-smokers, and they had to do like five computer tests as the night progressed. And the study showed that the non-smokers' concentration broke down in two hours, and smokers maintained their concentration until four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so if you're pulling any all-nighter, make sure you got your cigarettes. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, it kind of ties in as well to the whole um, smoking paradox, quote unquote, that you see with um, top athletes. Um, a lot of uh, of top athletes, particularly in football, you know, there's all these. The, the public just gets absolutely shocked when they found out that their football star, who's like, you know, at the top of his game, is uh, as a smoker. It's just like what. This doesn't make any sense, but you know it, yeah. it, it. It does if you think not only about uh, cognitive abilities, but just you know, um, athletic prowess, that sort of thing. I mean, that kind of ties in with the driving, like to have better reaction time and uh, and just be kind of maybe more aware of your uh, of your physical environment. Yeah, I, I had a, a friend a number of years ago who was an avid runner, and she would swear by always having a cigarette before she went for a run. Hmm. Now, that, granted, that's only one example. but well, I haven't noticed any difference between myself before I started smoking and after as far as exercise tolerance is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not be so much tolerance. Maybe it's more dexterity you get on or the something. treadmill with the smoke, Tiff? <laughs> <laughs> not while I'm on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but certainly before and after. It would be really funny to see people who are like lifting weights or something like that with a cigarette in their mouth. 
<laughs> I, I personally noticed a, a huge difference between when I used to smoke uh, commercial cigarettes all the time and switching to natural tobacco, um, a difference in, you know, my lung capacity when hmm. like riding bike. I'm not a runner, but I, I like to ride a mountain bike, you know, or doing anything else that's strenuous. Um, but, you know, the, also my uh, my diet was a lot worse at that time as well. Um, like not just the standard American diet. It was like the standard American really bad, awful diet. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But Ultra so I'm sure process that, people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of like, uh, like Gordon was talking about last week, you know, there's a lot of these, uh, um, diseases, uh, you know, uh, namely cancer, emphysema, or things like that are multiple risk factor uh, diseases. So they can't be nailed down um, to just one cause. And I think that's uh, something that we seem to be losing in our culture is the ability to kind of see the broader picture. Um, mm. if, you, if, you know, if you give anybody one thing to demonize, they're going to go for it. And they're yeah. going to blame, you know, like whatever it is, insert negative, co- you know, negative result here with, you know, alleged, um, cause and they'll, they'll go for demonizing that cause without looking at all of the multiple risk factors, factors and, and keeping an open mind about what the causes may be. So, um, just like we talked about, uh, you know, environmental pollution from traffic alone, uh, it, you know, if you're next to a highway or if you're around automobile exhaust a lot, uh, you're getting, uh, hundreds and hundreds of percentage points more toxins uh, than you do just from, you know, just from even smoking Marlboros, which again, it, it kind of irks me to say, cause I'm really, I'm personally against kind of commercial cigarettes, but at the same time, you know, like Elliot pointed out, a lot of this research that's been done has been done on people who smoke quote unquote regular cigarettes. Yeah. Well, I think it's smoking has become the ultimate scapegoat. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you're saying, you know, it, 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 if there's any, if smoking comes into the picture at all, it's like, well, that there's your answer right there. That's why right. they have lung cancer. That's why they have whatever. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it, you, you may as well just call them Satan sticks or something like that. You know, it's as soon as smoking enters the picture, that is the cause of every evil in the person's life. <laughs> yeah, well, the worst thing is yeah. they're actually, um, they're actually, um, they're threatening. I think they're doing it in the UK, and they might be doing it in the US as well. But they're threatening people to basically, if you're a smoker, and then you go to to receive um, healthcare, you go for an operation or something like that. They're complaining that you're putting such a burden onto the system in terms of tax, hmm. um, and you're costing the economy so much money that I think I think it might be in America what they're trying to do is basically say look if you're a smoker then you're not going to get any healthcare you know they're trying to limit the amount of um to limit the amount of healthcare that someone can can access um simply because they're a smoker and this, oh, this, yeah well they this is really bad trying. yeah they're not just trying to they already do you know if you if you put down that you're a smoker on a healthcare applicate or a health insurance application you can't get certain coverages oh wow yeah 
Yeah, it's like yep. yet more of the guilting, right? Like the, like you know, we were talking about this last week. How uh, the the whole idea of secondhand smoke and how by smoking you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting other people. Well, it's the same thing. You're a burden, a burden on you know the uh, the collective uh, by right. smoking because you you are a burden on on the the healthcare system, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. That that brings up for me one of the articles that we had been looking at. Um, and I think the the connections here are interesting, but uh, this is from the Financial Times, uh, and it was on site called Big Pharma Pushing Vaccine Against Smoking. Mm. Smokers may soon be able to break their habit with an injectable vaccine that prevents nicotine in tobacco entering the brain. The NickVax vaccine moved closer to the market on Monday after a deal between GlaxoSmithKline, there's GlaxoSmithKline again, Hmm. And the U.S. biotech company, Nabi Pharmaceuticals, which developed the product. Um, so uh, the the article is, is interesting in that it, it continues to use this uh, reference to this, you know, quote-unquote medication as a vaccine against smoking. When we were talking before the show, Doug pointed out something interesting, which I, uh, I think is kind of the crux of the matter here is that it's not a, a vaccine. It's it's a it's like an uptake inhibitor for nicotine. But when mm-hmm. they call it when they call it a vaccine, then you immediately make the connection that smoking is a disease. Mm-hmm. You know, you're being vaccinated against this disease. And it's yeah. um I think it's a really interesting subtle psychological play um mm-hmm. that they would that they would refer to it as a vaccine. Um so you know again, more um you know, neural neuro linguistic programming uh, in mm-hmm. in the language around smoking, um, and not only that, but uh, you know, preventing nicotine from being taken up to the brain uh, is uh, dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll probably see even more cases of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. if you figure that that you know the the receptors that actually accept um, nicotine. Um, the nicotinic receptors. I mean, if you're blocking nicotine to be able to uptake into the brain, are you blocking all the natural um, compounds that need to go to those uh, receptors as well? It wouldn't surprise me if they start using this thing and you start seeing people dropping dead. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, nicotine is naturally occurring in loads of things. And it's actually, I'm sure the body actually makes nicotine and it's used in like, you know lots of our biochemical reactions nicotine is a component so that's a really good question Doug because Mm. maybe maybe it would actually affect every single sort of endogenous nicotinic process that goes Mm -hmm. on in the body and you'd actually see people just dropping dead dropping dead straight away yeah or their brain just shuts off the zombie apocalypse begins (laughs) (laughs) yeah Continues, I think, is a better way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think another, another interesting point from this article is that they say uh, sales of GlaxoSmith, the GlaxoSmithKline's own range of anti-smoking patches, gums, and products has declined recently. Um, so they need to find another way, you know, to target to make money off of the smoking community. Mm-hmm. Um, hence, hence, you know, this quote-unquote vaccine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, <laughs> the referring to it as a vaccine. Is, I'm finding is is really irking me. Uh, like there's yeah, something wrong with you that needs to be fixed. 
They already have uh, <laughs> the anti-smoking drug Chantix or Champix, which drives Chantix, people to yeah. depression and suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts, even in some cases. Yeah. So yeah, I took Chantix for a little while, and it was awful. I felt nuts. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I couldn't control my thought processes. I got really depressed. Um, that was in the time when I switched from commercial cigarettes to natural tobacco because I actually took a shot at quitting for a little while, and I took Chantix uh, and Wellbutrin, and um, mm. and it was it was just awful. I, I, that was probably the worst I've ever felt in my life psychologically. Jeez. I can't say that I actually got to the point of being suicidal, but I, it's not a stretch for me to imagine that somebody could. Yeah. Yeah. So we see more and more of this uh, propaganda going on um, and just how deeply entrenched it is. I mean, just even after last week's show, I went on a, on a little road trip and uh, I had stopped at a gas station and went in to use the restroom. And there was a guy in there who was buying cigarettes and he was talking to the clerk and saying, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to quit. I'm down to like two or three a day. Uh, and they were like, oh, good job. You know, that's great. And he was like, yeah, you know, they tell me it's, it's harder to quit than heroin. And I think that's <laughs> true. And in my head, I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm all for personal choice. Like, seriously, personal choice is, is paramount. If you want to quit, that is totally fine. But, you know, but, uh, pervading this idea that it's harder to quit than heroin is just ridiculous on its face. You do not get seizures and, and vomiting when you quit smoking, mm-hmm. you know, which you do when you quit heroin. You can also yeah, die when you quit heroin. <laughs> Never seen yeah. anybody yeah. die from not smoking. Yeah. <laughs> you should have said, Jonathan, you should have said to him, would you like me to roll you a natural cigarette? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have had some some luck, uh, actually, even in the recent past, um, just talking to people openly about that, because it's the funniest thing, too, even among smokers, when they see you rolling a cigarette, they're like, what are you doing? You know, is that a joint? (laughs) I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's tobacco. Really? That's tobacco? That's what tobacco looks like? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't look like a wet, you know. (laughs) That's what it looks like? I've never seen it before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I think that that actually is the case with a lot of people, you know, and just not not familiar with it, um, which I, th- I think is kind of saddening in, its, in and of itself. Like, you know, if you're going to have something in your life, uh, like smoking or, you know, like changing your diet or eating certain things or using certain supplements like iodine and things like that, whatever it might be, if you're doing something with your body, like, you ought to learn about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but... I think I see this this epidemic of people not this you know pardon my French but not giving a shit about what they're doing uh, mm-hmm. they just do it you know and they don't actually like delve into it and, and learn about it so it's been really interesting to talk to people about tobacco and and they think that you're like a, you know like a genius like how, how do you know this about tobacco I'm like well Google <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's just, you know, a, a byproduct of the propaganda. You know, if people, yeah. it, it's the whole self-hating smoker thing. You know, if people view their behavior, which maybe they don't totally understand and have been told that it's bad, 
then it's kind of like, it's almost like a giving up at that point. You know, it's kind of like, well, I have to smoke and I'm told that it's bad. Therefore what I do is bad. So I don't give a shit. That's the, that's, that's kind of the solution. That's the, the way to get past the cognitive dissonance. You know, you can't, uh, you can't think that what you're doing is good. Therefore you are bad. Therefore, you know, and then the diet goes to crap as well. You stop exercising, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. The attitude certainly is systemic, you know, and just like we talked about it in the placebo show, I mean, attitude plays a big role in this. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a, it's not a stretch that if you're a, a smoker and otherwise healthy, uh, but you're a, you know, quote unquote self-hating smoker and you absolutely despise it and you can't stop doing it, but you still hate yourself for it and you, you think it's really bad, that that attitude, that pervasive energy is actually going to stimulate the growth of certain diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's not like, like new agey foo-foo pseudoscience that's that's proven that your your state of mind affects what's going on inside your body yeah i i I firmly believe that people have been programmed to uh you know get lung cancer from smoking it's like Mm. you know that it's so programmed into us that that smoking causes lung cancer that any person who does smoke that they're just set up to get that disease the nocebo effect as it were right so let's all pass the well, peace pipe like they used to do back in the Native American times as a way yeah. to stop fighting, to come together. Maybe that's part of the reason why the powers that be don't want people to smoke because it is kind of like a bonding thing when there's a bunch of people smoking together mm-hmm. outside maybe. They all talk <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, I used to have uh, non-smoking friends who would hang out in the smoking area in high school just because it's like, that's where all the cool people are hanging out, you know? That's, that's where all the good conversations are happening. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's just another point to make. Like, Tiff, you mentioned, you know, why the powers that be might not want people to smoke. And that, that brings that reminds me of this idea that uh, the concept that they have your they being the powers that be either the pharmaceutical companies or the FDA, you know, or the American medical association or anything like that, that they have your health in mind is total and utter bullshit because they, Mm -hmm. you know, if they did, they would be doing many, many, many other things. Mm -hmm. Um, The regulations that have been put on tobacco would have been put on processed foods. It would have been put on hydrogenated oils. Um, there would be much more education about environmental pollution. There'd be much more regulation on nuclear power plants. All of these things that are extremely, uh, well, fatal, uh, to the population at large, um, would be common knowledge, but they are not. And if they really had your, your interests in mind, um, we would be seeing other pushes and, and other modes of, of, uh, dissemination of, of knowledge about this. So that's what, that's what makes me personally immediately distrustful of when the establishment says this is bad for you. I'm like, okay, well, let's look into that because all of these other things that I know are bad for me, you're not talking to people about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's uh, always an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we are uh, coming up on our time here. So let's, uh, let's go to Zoya's pet health segment. She has one, today for us about natural allergy remedies for pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll get into that for a minute, and we will be back to wrap it up after this. Oh. 
Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to talk to you about the top natural remedies for dog and cat allergies. Allergies are one of the most upsetting conditions for pet owners to see in their dog or cat. The suffering that can be involved leaves us desperately seeking relief on their behalf. So here are the available natural remedies. First one is nettle. It has a mild antihistamine effect. Cat's claw may be also helpful as an anti-inflammatory and for allergic dermatitis in pets, but it's still being studied. Lavender flower water may be used to relieve itchy skin and calm obsessive flicking uh, due to allergies. It's important to heavily dilute any essential oil before using it on your pet. Licorice uh, glycerizin uh, content has earned it the label Nature's Cortisone. It also boasts anti-inflammatory properties and stimulates the immune system. But, co- uh, note of caution, long-term use, especially in large doses, isn't recommended. What about colostrum? It has at least one component that appears to help with allergies. It's a uh, Preline-rich polypeptide, or PRP, which calms and regulates the body's overreaction to allergens. It also has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, quercetin is a natural antihistamine with anti-inflammatory properties. It works best when combined with pepain and bromelain for optimum absorption, both of which are also antihistamines. And there is also L-glutamine. It may help with dog allergies associated with leaky gut syndrome, in which proteins leak uh, into the blood uh, via the digestive tract and cause allergies. And uh, don't forget about digestive enzymes and probiotics. Um, Maybe the reason allergic pets often respond so well to raw feeding There are natural enzyme supplements that will uh, benefit allergic pets, whether they eat a raw diet or not, uh, including plant enzymes. Uh, Veterinarians may recommend pancreatic enzymes, fruit and vegetable enzymes, or microbial enzymes. And two excellent sources of plant enzymes are papaya, pepain, and pineapple, bromelain, which are also antihistamines, as mentioned above. Vitamin A from natural sources may help atopic dermatitis. It can build up in the body to toxic levels. However, so synthetic vitamin A supplements are not recommended. Try supplying it with liver, seaweed, dark green vegetables, and yellow fruits and vegetables. Vitamin E mixed tocopherols can be supplemented to help with allergic dermatitis. Check labels to verify that a supplement contains natural mixed tocopherols, namely D-alpha, D-gamma, D-delta, and D-beta tocopherol. There is also vitamin B15, DMG, may be helpful for pet allergies, although an exact reason is lacking. And let's not forget about extra virgin organic coconut oil is often recommended as an anti-inflammatory and to keep yeast in check uh, through its lauric acid content. Omega-3 tackles inflammation and is a good choice if your dog or cat doesn't have fish-related allergies. 
We use krill for omega-3 and for its exceptionally high antioxidant properties. Note that freeze-dried krill and krill oil contain less contaminants than most fish oil supplements, resulting in less risk of adding allergens and toxins. The higher the fish is on the food chain, the more toxins it will contain, uh, such as heavy metals. Bathing your dog with natural shampoos designed to help with allergic dermatitis can be extremely helpful and it will also remove pollen and environmental allergens. You can make your own or go with one of the many natural non-soap products on the market. Be extra cautious if you choose to bathe your cat with any product containing essential oils because they don't tolerate them as well as dogs. Natural eye drops can help a great deal with allergies manifest in the eyes. Bach flower essences remedies for allergies include walnut, agrimony, cherry plum, olive, chestnut bud, and chicory. A popular blend of these flower essences is pet essences allergies. For hot spots and obsessive licking, try crab apple. The best way to identify food allergens is to use a process of elimination. A homemade diet has proven successful for many pet owners, with some going as far as raw feeding before finding relief for their pet's allergies. A key in relation to the diet may be inflammation, and choosing organic ingredients is a critical part of homemade pet food for allergies. But if you can't afford organic, just try the best you can. Most pet owners who have an allergic dog or cat know they should keep the environment as clean as possible by vacuuming, washing bedding, etc. In addition to that, having an air purifier specifically designed to remove allergens can make a profound difference when it comes to environmental allergies and pollen. Pet owners have reported a noticeable difference in less than a week of purchasing one of these lifesavers. But a note of caution. Managing allergies can be complicated due to the many conditions that can be associated with the immune system. It's also possible for pets to be allergic to some herbs, which would make matters worse. Additionally, herbal treatments may interact with medication. Plus, cats are extra sensitive to some natural treatments involving herbs and essential oils. So I strongly advise you to consult uh, with your natural veterinarian before administering natural allergy treatments for pets. Well, this is it for today. Have a great weekend and goodbye. Those are happy goats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Zoya. That was really good. And I think that's definitely uh, something to keep in mind, you know, as we move from the, the winter into the spring and the summer um, to help treat your pets and not pump them full of chemicals, um, which is, you know, it's easy to do. Even, you know, people people love their pets, uh, but they will still, you know, give them a bunch of uh, chemicals to treat certain things. And I, I don't think that that necessarily means they, they don't love their pets. It's just kind of like it's just what you do. I mean, shoot, we do it to ourselves. So um, it's important to remember to, to try to go natural if you can. And uh, yeah, so uh, today I uh, I don't have a specific uh, recipe. I will be back uh, next week with a more 
specific recipe, but I did want to say I've been playing around lately with low and slow pork belly. Mm. Um, and just if you get a chance to try this out, and you may have done this before, but uh, if you have a whole pork belly, I don't know how many of our listeners like make their own bacon or anything. Um, we have gone through that in the past about how to make your own bacon from, from whole pork belly. But I've been finding it's really fun to slice really ultra thick slices, like a half inch to three quarters of an inch, um, and then lay them out on, on like a parchment paper and bake for about 200, anywhere from 260 to 280 degrees Fahrenheit for about two and a half hours. Um, hmm. and then, and then take them out and flash fry them in a pan. And they're really good. It's like, it's crispy on the outside and it's really juicy and soft on the inside. And it, wow. it's, uh, yeah, it's been fun to experiment with. And you can season it with a little bit of like, um, you know, garlic and onion powder or whatever you want to do there. It's just salt and pepper. Um, but I've been finding I like that a lot more than just kind of flash fried bacon is like low and slow, really thick slices of bacon. So that's that's my recommendation for this week. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I want to come to your house, Jonathan, <laughs> when you're doing all these experiments. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> it's not awesome all the time. <laughs> Sometimes you end up with something you're like, well, I have to eat that now because I made it. <laughs> I won't share that recipe today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, today. We appreciate our chat participants. Uh, thank you for taking part in the chat. And uh, be sure to listen to the other two shows on the SOT Radio Network. Um, the Truth Perspective uh, tomorrow uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., and uh, Behind the Headlines on Sunday at noon Eastern Time. And if you are in a different time zone, just check radio.sot.net, and the times will be listed there according to your time zone. Uh, so don't forget to visit radio.sot.net. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we will be back next week. So have a great weekend. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye.